Welcome back, everyone, to the A10 Talk podcast. As usual, I'm Sam Basil alongside Daniel Frank. Daniel, how are you doing this week? Doing all right, Sam. Uh, we are almost to the tail end of the season. Got a lot of great hoops still ahead of us, and I'm very excited for the upcoming tournaments. Yeah, we are exactly uh, three weeks, I think, as, as the time of recording this, three weeks away from the uh, the beginning of the Atlantic 10 Men's Championship in D.C. So very, very exciting stuff going on. And I think, you know, the the chase for the chase for the Atlantic 10 Championship is as alive and as hot as ever. And I think this past weekend uh, and, and earlier in this week definitely proved that the biggest, you know, matchup I'm referring to obviously is the kind of almost doubleheader back-to-back uh, series between St. Bonaventure and St. Louis, which the Bonnies, you know, after having a bit of a struggle in early February came back and, and pretty much dominated St. Louis in both games uh, on Friday in St. Louis. And then on Monday uh, in Ole, New York. So Daniel, looking at those two games, what allowed the Bonnies to, you know, really take control and where does this put them now in the in the sort of Atlantic 10 tournament picture yeah you know it's interesting I mean Bonna did it looking at their box scores they didn't it's not like they played like you know got some production from someone that you know we weren't expecting to I mean their Friday night box score they got only four bench points but they got 14 minutes which is not you actually got 17 total minutes of bench time which for Bonna isn't you know it's really more than the average um, no, I think, honestly, I was really surprised by the outcome of both of these games. I really, if you would have asked me heading into this past weekend, who I would have picked to win the Atlantic 10 tournament, I would have confidently told you St. Louis. Um, that's, they very well still are, are capable of winning the A10 tournament. It's quite possible that they're just a bad matchup with the Bonnies, but all of a sudden the Bonnies, I think are, you have to take them seriously again, which was not the case. I think a week ago, I mean, they, they were sitting at 500, it doesn't feel like that long ago. Uh, and now here they are at eight and four. And, you know, I think they're, they're warming their way back in to, you know, this A-10 title race um, and two wins against slow. I mean, they're both pretty impressive wins. I mean, to win on the road it's, at Chaffetz, it's never easy to do. And then, you know, the Bonnies had a 20 point lead on, on Monday before, you know, slew came all the way back to make it a two point game late. Um, but credit the Bonnies for finding ways to win two games. Yeah. So like you mentioned, I mean, the Bonnies once again, you know, pulled off two big wins with really no, I don't want to say no, because they, they did, they did get plenty of help from their bench, but I mean, with not a ton of bench minutes, I mean, like you mentioned, they had uh, 17 bench minutes against St. Louis on, on the Friday game. And then on the Monday game, they had just 11. Um, again, it's something that we've been talking about all season long, but you know, Dominic Welch, on Monday, uh, played played forty minutes. Uh, on 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 Friday, three Bonnies played for forty minutes. That's Jaron Holmes, Dominic Welch, and Kyle Lofton. Um, these these were no doubt some great wins, but I mean, is that something that's going to you know let them make a deep run in the A10 tournament? Like, are they going to make it to Sunday? Because uh, I mean, obviously, you know. You're, you're going to be tired after playing 40 minutes in a game, right? But you can come back during the regular season because you have like probably like three to four days of rest between games uh, so that you can kind of, you know, manage yourself, manage your stamina. But during the A-10 tournament, if you're, if you're, if you keep winning, 
you're playing maybe two to three days in a row with less than 24 hours in between games. Is this a feasible, you know, rotation strategy for the Bonnies in a tournament like this? The only way it happens is if the Bonnies get a top four bid or a top four seed. I, I think that's literally the only possible way that the Bonnies can can run the type of gauntlet that they're going to need to do. Now, here's their situation. So as of recording tonight, the Bonnies are eight and four, half a game behind St. Louis, who's nine and four. The Bonnies obviously have a tiebreaker over SLU by virtue of those two wins. So here's the remaining schedules for both of them. What the Bonnies need to do is win out, basically. They can afford maybe one loss, but they need St. Louis to falter. Now, here's St. Louis's remaining schedule. They play at Davidson, home versus St. Joe's, at Rhode Island, at Richmond, and VCU at home. There's a good chance that SLU loses at least one of those, maybe two, and Bonna really hopes it's two. Now, on the flip side, Bonnies get Duquesne, which darn well better be a win, Rhode Island, at St. Joe's, at VCU, and home versus Richmond. Now, it's going to be tough. It's feasible the Bonnies go undefeated in those last five games. Realistically, maybe they go four and one, in which case they're going to need SLU to lose two games. But it's not, it's not impossible that the Bonnies still get a top four seed here, which is going to make life interesting. I mean, basically, the other situation is the Bonnies just can't afford to let Richmond bunny hop them. You know, and I'm not going to make a huge difference fifth to six, but um, at this point, they, they've effectively separated themselves from George Mason and George Washington, seven and eights. So the Bonnies aren't going to drop. They really just need to make sure that they're doing what they can to help themselves out and not have to play more than three games in, in DC. Yeah. I mean, you know, you look at that, the, the, you look at their remaining schedule and I think right now you, I think you mentioned their, their best case scenario is they go, uh, you know, four and one. I really think, honestly, if I'm looking at their schedule, I think that one loss is going to come against VCU. I mean, I've been watching Agreed. plenty, plenty of VCU for the entire season, but on Tuesday I got to see them up close against Fordham and you know obviously the Bonnies and, and Fordham are, are, are different teams they're different teams in you know stages of development different teams in terms of you know maybe level of talent and cohesion but I mean VCU against Fordham on Tuesday night looked like a tournament team they were so aggressive they played a full court press with like four guys up to like four guys in the back court almost the entire game. It was, it was one of the most like insane things I've ever seen against Fordham right from jump. They were, they were pressing. I, I, I was saying to, you know, one of the guys at, in the, in the FUV booth on the, you know, on the press table, it looked like I was watching like my high school basketball team go up <laughs> against like, uh, like when I was in high school, the, the basketball team and the team over from us was like a lot bigger and a lot better. Um, it, it, and they would just run the press on us the entire game. And it was embarrassing. And, I know that's what that's what like. like. Fordham, Fordham, yeah. I'm sure. in, in your own in your own basketball games, I'm sure you've you've gone up against uh, you know some some pretty tough presses. And look, I'm going to give Fordham credit. In the second half, they really picked it up. They found a way to pick through that press. But in that first like ten minutes, it really gave them a lot of trouble. And I really think VCU is one of those teams that you know they are like Fordham in you know defensively, and they're they're scrappy. They're aggressive and they really want teams. They, they win by making teams make mistakes. And when the, if they can wear out the Bonnies in the first half like that, they're going to make the Bonnies make mistakes and, and they could possibly pull off a win. I will just jump in here though, before the Bonnies fans get all up in arms saying, now wait a damn minute, Sam, we beat VCU by 20 points already this season, which is correct. 
St. Bonaventure did beat VCU 73-53, but that was back January 14th. And if we've learned one thing about VCU this season is they have a long memory and they hold on to 20-point losses from earlier in the season, i.e. the whole Dayton series. And uh, you can expect that VCU is going to throw the kitchen sink at the Bonnies when they get them here in a couple weeks. Um, but it's, it's definitely going to be, it's going to be a heck of a game. And I'm really looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that is a really good point. And in that game, VCU is only able to force uh, 11 turnovers on the Bonnies. But then again, you look, the Bonnies only got 15 bench minutes and guys like Marcus, like VCU is such a deep team. Like Marcus Sahonis in that game uh, against the Bonnies that they lost got 24 points. I mean, I'm sorry, 24 minutes off the bench and scored 14 points. So when it comes down to like stamina, I think VCU has the advantage and they're at home. I mean, VCU is a very, very tough team to play at home. We've always seen that these past couple of years with this VCU team. And like you said, you know, they hold on to wins and it's the A-10. I mean, a 20 point win a month ago, means absolutely nothing and this is a very tomorrow. different vcu team as well yeah I, I i really agree the one thing i will say is uh a, a big a big factor going into you know this this game you know i mean this this game's not for a while but a big factor for vcu right now especially going into this weekend is the hassan ward injury um you know if anyone who who might have missed that um against fordham uh in the first half he went up for a layup and it looked like he came down pretty hard on, on his left knee. Um, right now, people are saying it's like a left ankle sprain. That's according to Wayne Epps Jr., who's a, you know, a great reporter down in Richmond who covers a lot of VCU stuff. He had his knee looked at uh, for the beginning of the first half. He was kind of sitting behind the bench I saw. He didn't get any ankle. He didn't look like he didn't get any sort of tape or any sort of ice on it. So it looked okay. But I think that's going to be something that uh, VCU fans – should be looking out for for their for their next game. Um, with VCU, with the Bonnies, with St. Louis, it seems like the A10 is really kind of developing this season a quote unquote big six. I, I kind of borrowed that from A10 Talks on Ray Floriani, who did a really good article about a month ago that I think everyone should try and find and check out on the A10 Talk website about you know these big six teams and and you know, how their play is going to, you know, kind of determine the outcome of the A-10 tournament. So just a quick rundown. Those six teams are obviously the Bonnies, VCU, St. Louis, Richmond, Dayton, and obviously Davidson. So Daniel, um, I think right now it's, it's clear that, you know, when you're looking at different bracketologies and whatnot and just, and just seating in general, it looks like Davidson is kind of on their own level. And then, just under them, like, you know, by a margin of, of a couple inches, you know, those other five teams are really jockeying for that second spot. So for you, I mean, where do you, where do you see these teams kind of, you know, settling in? Like what, what's, what places do you see these teams settling into over the next three weeks? Can I give you my biggest hot take of the season? Give it. Davidson's a fraud. Wow. I think Davidson might be a fraud, truthfully. Looking at them, I saw them in person at GW. They didn't look good. They've had some questionable games recently, notably against St. Joe's. And uh, <laughs> this is this is a hot take, and I know I'm going to get some flack for this. I mean, they only beat they lost to Rhode Island. Points. They lost to Rhode Island. 
I mean, and this is by far the worst Rhode Island team that we have seen in memory, recent memory for sure. Yeah, I just, time. I have a bad feeling that this Davidson team isn't going to win a single game in D.C. I mean, I, I could feasibly see them getting bounced by an eight or nine seed. And heck, right now a nine seed would be Rhode Island. You beat them once already. And GW is the eight seed right now. And they near darn near beat them already. I mean, Davidson, for as good as they look on paper, and don't get me wrong, I fully want with my heart of hearts Davidson to get that large bid so that when they lose in the H10 tournament, we automatically become a two-bid league. That said, I just, I am not sold on Davidson. I mean, you look at their advanced metrics in the last month. Their defense is like Ken Pop 300. They're just not, they, they show flashes of streakiness. I'm not sold on them, Sam. I'm just not sold on them. Yeah. You know, I, I want to disagree with you because Davidson's always a team that I, I, I've found entertaining. And I think, you know, in conference play, I was always like, wow. In, uh, excuse me, in non-conference play this season, I was like, wow, this, this Davidson team is crazy. I mean, they've, I've, uh, you know, they always put on a show every time, every time they win, but they've, they've gotten a lot of wins against some rough teams that they've played really close to the chest. I mean, you know, you talk about that loss to Rhode Island, but in their first game against Rhode Island, they only won 72-68. They had to come back and win against Fordham 69-66. And that was without Antonio Day. That was that was after Fordham had already lost Antonio Day, which was which was pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Davidson is showing that they might not be the completely dominant team that we think they are. That being said, I still do think that they have a chance, uh, you know, at at you know, still winning the conference and and still making the tournament. Right oh, now, I, I think, think they're definitely going to win the regular season, and I definitely think they should be an at large. Yeah, they will. They will be in. They will be in the NCAA tournament. But you know, as we enter the as we enter the conference tournament, if you're that eight or nine seed, uh, you know, making it to the third day against Davidson, from what you've seen from them so far, how are you taking them down? You catch them on a bad shooting night. That's the recipe. You catch Davidson when they're not shooting the ball very well, and you contain them as long as you possibly can. Um, IGW did it rather effectively for about thirty odd minutes. And then <laughs> Luka Brankovic finished with 30 points. So the box score doesn't quite tell the story of the game. But if you can, and Luka Brankovic, I think, had six points in the first half, if I'm not mistaken, in that GW game. Yeah. I mean, that that seems to be the recipe. If you catch Brankovic on an off night, you don't let him get to the line, and you, you don't give him open threes. I mean, Davidson gets a tremendous amount of open threes, which is a strong credit to their ball movement, I think, offensively. They, they are by far, when their offense is clicking, the best ball movement team, I think, in the conference. That being said, I think there's some weaknesses you can definitely exploit. I think if you get a team like a GW, like a Rhode Island, that can match up with them with a little bit of size, I think it bothers Davidson. It does create some mismatches on the other end of the floor, for sure. But I think it's a risk. You, you kind of have to roll those dice, I think, especially when you get to tournament time. Davidson has some exploitable flaws, and I think it, it's been showing the last couple of weeks. So, well, you know, you say you say catch them on a on a on a cold on a cold shooting night and you know Matt you know out out basically outsize them in the paint. But I mean, is there anything else like when you're when you're you know formulating a game plan for your team, you can't really say to yourself, like, let's just hope they kind of suck tonight. You know what I mean? Like let's just yeah. hope 
Well, okay. let's just hope like they got food poisoning before the yeah. game and they're and they're like kind of distracted. So like if if you're expecting the best Davidson team you can you can have out there, I mean, how else can you can you limit this team? Well, let me give you the example of the Rhode Island game. Yeah. Rhode Island out rebounded Davidson 46 to 28. Wow. 46 28. More to the point, Rhode Island had 13 turnovers and Davidson only had four. So it's not like, you know, you have to be perfect against them. I mean, again, like I said, Luka Brajkovic, eight points that game, still seven rebounds. Um, And the other thing is Davidson had only 12 attempts from the line that game. You don't let Davidson get easy points because Davidson is a very good free throw shooting team. You just can't allow them to make the game easy for them. You really have to muck it up. You have to slow the pace down. I think that's the other thing. In terms of game planning, you have to slow the pace down against Davidson. you got to take the air out of the ball a little bit. you got to run 25 seconds off the shot clock every possession because you got to wear them out a little bit. I think VCU demonstrated that pretty effectively when they won at Belk Arena earlier this year, that if you, you know, press them a little bit, make them uncomfortable, just take them out of the rhythm. Davidson had 15 turnovers when they played at VCU or against VCU earlier this season. Um, and that was night even when Brejkovic had 23 and 12. So, I mean, again, you can limit this team in, in different ways to just take them out of the rhythm because that teams like Davidson that are so efficient at offensive scoring, you get, you have to get them out of the rhythm. Yeah. So looking down the rest of the conference standings, I mean, so you got Davidson right now. That's that, that has a pretty solid shot at, uh, you know, clinching the conference regular season champions. It's, it's going to be close because let me say, you know, they're, they're only a game ahead of VCU and Dayton who are both yeah. kind of three in conference play. But you got VCU, this is, this is two through uh, like six in, in the Atlantic 10 standings right now. It's VCU, Dayton, SLU, the Bonnies, and Richmond. So uh, if I'm going to be honest, that Saturday of the Atlantic 10 championship is probably going to be, and even Friday as well, is probably going to be one of the like most intense Saturdays I think we've ever seen in the Atlantic 10 tournament. Is there any sort of like clash of the Titans battle that you think is going to be, you know, that, that fan should hope kind of sees itself happening, you know, right before we get to that final game. I would love nothing more than to see VCU Dayton. I mean, yeah. I, I think the other one that would be really fun would be VCU Bana. Um, which we're going to get another round of here, which I know everyone's like, well, VCU for 20 point game first. I, I, look, it's going to be different this time around. It's going to be a much different VCU team, but I think VCU Dayton and VCU Bana are going to be probably the most fun matchups. VCU, you know, is going to travel well, you know, that they're, they're going to be the best represented team in the, most likely in the A-10 tournament, just given their proximity to DC. That's, you know, an easy hour and a half drive from Richmond up to DC. Sans traffic, of course, um, but I mean, it, it, yes, which is ironic to say as it's in both literally GW's backyard as well as George Mason, but that's neither here nor there. VCU is going to show out. Dayton always travels well. We know the Bonnies travel well. We know the Bonnies have a good time. The atmosphere is going to be really, really fun, I think, no matter how that you draw it up there. And, and look, right now, if everything holds true to where it is, VCU and Dayton could meet in the semifinals just by virtue of being the two and the three seed right now. Bana being the five um, would mean that they wouldn't face either. If everything holds true where it is right now, if Bana ends up the five, 
wouldn't play either VC or Dayton until the A-10 championship game. But boy, would that be a fun A-10 championship if we're lucky enough to get it. I mean, I, I think to answer your question, there's not a bad matchup here. I mean, I'm hoping Richmond fans travel pretty decently as well, being, you know, Richmond as the sixth team, I think we're including in here. The only team that's probably not going to have any fans there is St. Louis, just based off of their, their distance. But they always seem to have some fans that travel. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, how what, what fan turnout's going to look like at all this year. But it, it, I don't think there's a bad option here, truthfully. Yeah, and, you know, even looking down the line, I mean, I might be focused on this game a bit more than, you know, a general A-10 basketball fan. But um, up until up until probably Tuesday when Fordham lost to VCU, they were slated to be in that 8-9 game against George Washington. Yeah. And, I, I, and right now, uh, that spot is honestly, is also taken up by Rhode Island. Now, like we've said, this is probably one of the, the, the weaker Rhode Island teams we've seen in a long time. But, I mean... George Washington's been exciting. Fordham's been exciting in spurts. And Rhode Island's got up, has already upset the best team in the conference. You know, is that kind of mid-pillow fight to, you know, bottom pillow fight? You know, is that is that a must-watch for A-10 fans as well? I mean, here's the thing. Let's just give a – I mean, for the moment. I, I mean, I think beyond LaSalle and Duquesne, because LaSalle and Duquesne – they are what they are at this point. There's nothing happening there. <laughs> like, and how refreshing for both you and I, Sam, that we're not saying this about GW and Fordham. Yeah. It's, it's, been, it's been a minute for both of us here. GW, let me just give them their moment here. 500. They're 6-6 six and six on February 17th. And everyone was going crazy at me a couple weeks ago saying, there's no way in hell GW finishes the season 500. They're on track to do that. GW gets Rhode Island coming up next, who they've already beaten. They get Richmond at home at George Mason, who they've already beaten. Now, granted, that was without Josh Doduro, and I fully expect George Mason will come out and win that game. But it's, again, feasible. Duquesne again, which should be a win. It's at home. And then at Fordham, which is a winnable ball game. That's going to be a sneaky darn fun way to end the season, Sam, with the GW Ford matchup. But, I mean, GW in eighth place is a miracle for them. And again, let's not take anything away from Fordham. I mean, Fordham, yeah, they're in 11th place, but they're also in eighth place. It's a three-way tie. They're, they're tied with, uh, with Rhode Island and UMass. They're all four and eight. So, I mean, there's still, there's five games to play. Anything will happen. Fordham is very, very realistically still in the territory to avoid the pillow fight entirely. And, and what an accomplishment in year one for Kyle Neptune. I mean, he had by far the biggest hole of any new A-10 coach to dig out of. I mean, we were talking before the season, is Fordham just a cursed job? Is this a job that no one wants to take? Is he even the guy? Is anyone the guy to get Fordham out of the cellar? It seemed inevitable that Fordham was just doomed to be there forever. And then here we are. Yes, they're four and eight. And you may laugh at that if you're looking at this from the outside in. But to see the progress that Fordham has made, and I know I'm hyping you up, Sam, it is, it is remarkable. This is not your granddad's Fordham team. We've been saying this for a couple of weeks. Give Fordham their moment here in the spotlight. Let Fordham out of the pillow fight. I'd love to see a GW Fordham 8-9 matchup and let one of them take down Davidson and let the whole damn place burn down. Yeah, and, you know, like, like I've been saying with Fordham, it's, it's inspired basketball. It's not, it's, not the, you know, it's not the Jeff Neubauer style of basketball where we see, you know, hard defense and then just 
you know, throwing it into the paint and seeing what, what Joel Soriano can do. No offense to Joel Soriano. You're a great player. You're doing great on St. John's. But, I mean, you know, he he's obviously wor- he's obviously flourishing in a better system. I mean, he was he was overworked. Him and Chuba Ohams were overworked. So now you see Chuba Ohams in a system like Kyle Neptune's where he can really, you know, play on all areas of the court that he wants to. You know, he's really excelling. He's really improving. Um, and so yeah, I think I think this this section of the A10 bracket is going to look, you know, is going to be a lot more entertaining than we than we've seen in years past. I mean, that Fordham GW game has always kind of been like that, that first game of the tournament. Um, and and, and it, it's always just a, one of those two teams going, being the first team to be sent home uh, by the other. And now I think, you know, we can, we can look at this game as a potential matchup on the second day as one team, you know, potentially trying to punch their way to the semifinals. Um, that being said, I want to talk about uh, Mason and George Washington's games on Wednesday. Like, like we've said before, I mean, this, this February has been kind of a very packed day, uh, packed month for the Atlantic 10 as a whole. I mean, you know, cause a lot of teams who, who had to make up games are, you know, make up games due to that big COVID spike in early, in late December, early January, pushed a lot of the games to February, which are now all getting made up. I mean, you look at a team like St. Bonaventure, they played Friday, Monday, Wednesday, and their next game is going to be on what's today Saturday. So that's like four games in eight days. That's 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 pretty crazy for uh, you know a college basketball team like we've been saying. But um, George Mason, an overtime win against St. Joe's, seventy-five seventy, uh, and then George Washington, a seventy-three fifty-two win over Duquesne. What did you like from both of those teams in their wins? Starting with Mason, let's talk about them. Yeah, full disclosure, just off the bat here, I didn't see either of these games because I was at GW Woman last night uh, against George Mason, um, which in and of itself was a hell of a game, and I'll highlight that a little bit later on in the show. Um, but I, I followed both of these box scores throughout, and the thing that really stuck out to me, just from talking to, to some friends after the game who did see the game, this was a character win, I think, for George Mason. Uh, I mean, this was a game in which any other George Mason team, specifically Dave Paulson teams, would never have been able to come back from. There is no question that this George Mason team under Dave Paulson wouldn't have lost by 15 because they would have fouled and there would have been free throws and that would have been the end of that. Down 10 with four to go. No way does it come back. And look, there's some questions about George Mason's use of Joshua Duro. Are they leaning on him a little too much? Dude at 33 points. I mean, hard to argue with the results of this. Now, granted, having zero bench points is a bit alarming, and it is a bit Bonner territory to have zero bench points. They only had three guys in double figures. Josh had 13, Xavier Johnson, or sorry, Josh at 33, Xavier Johnson at 13, and Deshaun Schwartz at 18, including the go-ahead shot and regulation. Um, we're not going to talk about the, the third buzzer beater that has been hit against Mason this season. Um and we're also not going to mention, for the sake of my heart rate, this is the third Wednesday in a row that George Mason has played an overtime game. Wow. I mean, talk about a string of games. Um, but to be able to come back from that, I mean, because so many teams, you see it all the time. Teams finish regulation with a great comeback, give up a buzzer beater, though, to the other team, and then they fold in overtime. 
Mason's credit, they outscored the Hawks 11-6 in overtime and really put their foot down and said, no, we are not going to crumble. And I think it was a real mental, a really strong mental toughness win for Mason. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned, you know, the the zero bench points. It's funny that you're saying right now, you know, <laughs> again, not not to harp on it, but I mean, it's just, you know, you, you're, you're seeing, you know, where these programs cur- currently sit. It's like, what a crazy time that we're living in, that there's something about St. Bonaventure that George Mason does not want to replicate. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, which is, I think is, I think is great for, you know, the parody of this league, but with Joshua Duro, I mean, 33 points. I mean, if a guy's hot, you got to keep handing him the ball. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I mean, and Joshua Duro is just one of those guys. And so looking at GW's win, uh, Joe Bamisil, 21 points, two round, two rebounds, three assists. Uh, you know, just another great game from him. Where does this put George Washington? I mean, like you said, I mean, six and six, that, that's where it literally puts them. But mentally, where does this put George Washington? I think this was a really much needed win for GW. I don't think it can be overstated how important it is to be able to bounce back um, in, in this way after. I mean, look, the Dayton game was a really rough outing. I, got, I went on ESPN radio, um, you know, bef- that afternoon on, on Sully's show. Uh, before the game, I told him, I really think that GW is going to play Dayton close and uh, they did not, which is a shame, but I think it says a lot about the character of this team and, and the way they've been able to come together. GW in November, December, maybe even January would not have been able to come back and put together the type of performance that they were able to Wednesday night. I mean, GW earlier in the season, you could tell they were not a cohesive unit. I mean, definitely could not have had the mental toughness to do what was needed to get a win like this. Um, I mean, you look at the thwarting that GW got from Dayton early in the season, they followed up with an, I, they just were not able to bounce back in, in positive ways and channel that energy in positive ways. But I mean, four guys scored double figures. Joe Badamazil had 21, Brian Freeman had 10. And then you also have Brennan Adams was 12 and Ricky Lindo coming off the bench, dropping you 11 and 12. I mean, that's a heck of a lot to be excited about for GW right now. I will say flipping the script a little bit, boy, is it a bad look for Duquesne. I mean, to have two starters put up goose eggs. Now, granted, yeah, yeah, easily had 11 boards. So it's not like he was completely, you know, a non-factor entirely. But Duquesne, their last several games, 52 points, 61, 54, 54 in their last four games. And before that 62, 57, 53, that's what seven games last seven games are averaging like 55 points. That's uh, is, it is. I mean, they shot 28% from the field, Sam 28. That is a bad, bad look right now for the Dukes. Yeah. You know, I mean, (laughs) what, what more is there to say about Duquesne this year? I mean, there's, there, there's not much, uh, you know, it's just like, like what I said with Fordham playing inspired basketball. I mean, I feel like Duquesne's really, you know, it's, it's uninspired. You know what I mean? There's, there's nothing really going for this team. Um, you know, I, I hate to be, I hate to be so harsh, but I mean, it, it looks like, you know, it, it might, it might just be time to kind of, you know, reset, you know, but let's, let's talk about the game that you were at uh, last night, which was George Mason versus George Washington on the women's side. Uh, it looks like George Washington, you know, got the win pretty handily. You know, they won uh, 65-57. Could you talk about, you know, what what you liked in that game for both these programs? I know they're going to be 
you know, right now it's looking like they're both going to be pillow fight teams. Uh, but what, for fans of both of these teams, I mean, what, what's something that you liked out of this game? I'll start with George Mason. I, I think this is the, the easy one for me, the fight that this team showed. I mean, George Washington led Mason, I want to say it was 43-29 in the third quarter. Mason was already down like eight at the half, and GW continued on like a 17-6 to spurt to really blow the game open. And me and pretty much everyone else in the building was like, well, that's game. And mm-hmm. George Mason came all the way back and made it a two-point game. Yeah, they fell a little short. The, the, the line was a little bit, you know, uh, not as close as it was at the end, purely because of free throws and whatnot that happens at the end of the game. But this was throughout the entire first quarter. I mean, George Mason fought. I mean, the, you all the things that were said about George Mason last season do not apply to this team. Their biggest struggles right now is, is yeah, scoring the ball. They got absolutely hammered defensively on, on the glass. GW had more offensive rebounds than Mason had defensive rebounds, which cannot happen. Don't get me wrong. There's glaring problems with this team. But the fight that they're showing is, is you cannot question it. Now, for GW, all of a sudden, the offense has clicked. GW is top 25 in the nation in defense. That was never the problem for this team. But all of a sudden, you score more than 48 points a game, winning becomes a hell of a lot easier. When you're scoring 70 points a game, boy, can you start to win some games. I mean, you get production. You, you cut out the turnovers. They made some roster adjustments in, in, in their, their player management. And GW is not necessarily locked into being a pillow fight team. They have a tie, they're half a game behind St. Louis with the tiebreaker over them. They also have the tiebreaker over Duquesne, who's a uh, half a game ahead of them at five and eight. Um, so, I mean, GW has still a very realistic possibility of getting out of the pillow fight, which a week or two ago, I wasn't sure GW wasn't condemned to finish in last place. Um, and it, it's really tremendous. The, the strides that the colonials have been able to make now, while we're on the talk, topic of women's basketball, I want to talk about the two big games that also happened on Wednesday night, the top two, two, uh, top four teams, sorry, in the league played each other one against two and three against four Dayton played Rhode Island and UMass played Fordham. Now Fordham as a result of this loss has dropped down to fifth, but coming in, it was one, two, three, and four. Um, First and foremost, Dayton with an impressive defensive effort, just absolutely stifling Rhode Island's, offense 47 37 win for for Dayton which is a heck of a win it's a quad one win for the Flyers on the road and it really puts them in a really solid position here uh heading down into um the the last couple games of the season yeah Sam go ahead yeah and I think about a month ago we were talking about this game right I mean both teams at the time I think were undefeated in conference play and so we were looking at this game to kind of be like the one to really settle who was on top so do you think this game, you know, kind of settled that settled that debate for us? I mean, do you think it's clear that Dayton is the best team in the conference or does Rhode Island still have a chance at, you know, kind of sneaking out a, a, an A-10 tournament win? I, I, I think it, it's definitely not a runaway. There's no question that this is definitely not a runaway. Um, I think you have to take in at least three other teams into account as well. I mean, here's the, here's the situation as it stands following up and I'll just quickly summarize the other game that was uh Wednesday night with UMass Fordham Fordham had a had a pretty substantial lead 
um, throughout the game. And then UMass with a phenomenal comeback down the stretch. And I will give a major shout out to Kendall Jeremiah from Fordham. Dropped 35 points, 11 boards, and had, I think, eight or nine threes that she hit. Now, UMass outscored Fordham 17-6 in the fourth, and that was the story of the ball game. But as things stand in the net rankings on this Thursday evening, Dayton is 47, UMass is 48, and Rhode Island is 49. So we've got three teams all in a row. Now, Fordham also only dropped to 59. So Fordham is not technically out of the at-large picture. They're most likely, in my opinion, it's really going to be stretched for them. They're probably locked to the WNIT at this point, unless they win the A-10 tournament. I still think there's five teams that realistically have an argument to be made for winning the A-10 tournament. That's Dayton, Rhode Island, UMass, Fordham, and I'll add VCU in here because VCU took down Dayton uh, last weekend on the road at UD Arena, hand the Flyers their first loss, um, which is really a sign of some good parity. And I also think the fact that Dayton's net is as high as it is still, even despite you know the, the home loss, is a sign of respect. And I mean, the A-10 really is putting itself in a, in a position to get th- as many as three bids here, which is truly a tremendous accomplishment for the woman. Yeah, no doubt. And um, so, you know, as we move into this weekend, you know, kind of wrapping up for our final segment of the night, on both the men's and women's sides, you know, what are the most important games this weekend as we kind of wind down into the season and we get closer and closer to March? Yeah, on the women's side, I'll start there. Uh, first one that jumps right off the page of you, Fordham host Dayton. It, it, this is Fordham's last gas, basically. If they're going to make a case for themselves to get at large, they have to beat the Flyers. It would be a quad one win, I believe, for, for Fordham. And this is really their last chance to, to make an, a case for themselves. Um, Rhode Island's got to take care of business against Richmond. That's a big one for them. And UMass has got to take care of Davidson. I think that that's your starting point there. On the men's side, uh, the biggest one that jumps off the page at me is Davidson St. Louis. If you are a Bona fan, boy, are you a big Davidson fan on a, on a Saturday night. Um, and I think the other two, you know, Friday, Friday 10, um, VC Richmond is going to be big. And then, um, you know, St. Joe's Dayton, Dayton's got to just take care of business. I think um, other sneaky game of the weekend, which I'm sure you're going to talk about here in a minute, Sam, talk to me about Mason Fordham and why that's going to be a closer game than people think. Oh, I think that's going to be a really fun one. Uh, you know, it's tough. Fordham, Fordham is entering a, you know, they're entering kind of a, they're, they've, so on Tuesday against VCU, they kind of they've kind of started a four game homestand, right? And now that now that they've got fans back in the arena, I think we're getting closer and closer to Fordham. You know, being able to, you know, this this game record wise, yes, is an upset, but I do think it's a very winnable game for Fordham. They've adjusted well with with their with you know with a lot of their injuries and what's been going on with their roster. Darius Quisenberry obviously is. He's been day to day with his knee injury. Kyle Neptune, you know, with their, you know, Coach Neptune has been a little, you know, apprehensive to give a lot of information uh, in regards to what's going on with it, uh, with, with Darius. A, because, you know, I, I just think, I just think they're just unsure, you know, how to, how to handle his injury right now. And they want to take him day by day because he is such an important asset to this team. So, you know, if he plays, it's going to be a great game. If he doesn't play, I still think Fordham has a chance, you know, to kind of, you know, play this, play this, you know, 
bigger style of basketball that they've kind of been getting accustomed to a little bit more this season. I would love to see that second uh, big man unit of Patrick Kelly and Rostislav Novitsky kind of get some good minutes. And if they can stop Josh Oduro, I think we've really got like a good game, especially now that fans are allowed back in Rose Hill gym. You know what I mean? That that's also been a huge factor for Fordham so far. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think I, I, as a Mason fan, this game concerns me a little bit um, just based off of how Mason played Wednesday night. Mason on the road is never a gimme. I mean, this was a thing that I think we talked about a, about a month ago when Mason was still trying to get a top four spot. Mason's if we're going to Mason's could take in seriously, you got to win games on the road in the Atlantic 10. Well, Mason's now in seventh, but if they look, they can still finish theoretically as high as six because or, or fifth, maybe realistic. I know they're mathematically, there's still possibilities of other things, um, but being realistically here, they're not going to get higher likely than fifth. Six is, is, is probably the most realistic. Seventh is, is probably between six and seven is basically where Mason's going to fall, which is very respectable for year one in Kim English. But if that's going to continue, you got to win games. You got to start winning games convincingly on the road. And this is a game I think Mason's either going to win it going away or Forum's going to win if it's close. Something about this game tells you George Mason either has to win by 10 plus points and hit a bunch of threes. And if it's close, I feel like Fordham finds a way. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I I totally agree with you. I mean, it's 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 really, it really depends on like, I don't know how to say this, but it it, it you know it it really depends on like the Fordham team that you're getting that day. I mean, they could really be on it and and flowing really well, or the other team could you know force them to make a lot of mistakes. So as long as Fordham you know executes their game plan and executes it how they want to play, then I think they have a real chance of you know you know competing against Mason. So, I mean, a lot of good stuff. I mean, for me, uh, pretty much everything, you know, you you hit on, on, on pretty much all the good stuff. On another column slash podcast I do for another website, I actually had St. Louis against Davidson as my upset of the week uh, for, for, you know, a couple picks I had, you know, around the country in college basketball. I mean, Davidson, of course, is at home. They're a tough team to play at home, but St. Louis, you know, their, their back is against the wall. You know what I mean? They, they, they were on the bubble for such a long time. And I think a win against Davidson could push them. You know, if, if it doesn't push them back into the bubble, it, it pushes them like as close to the bubble as you possibly can. Would that not be a quad one win? It would be a quad one win, but I mean, I just don't know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, yes, it would be a really good win. That being said, I just, you know, with the way that the A-10, you know, is is evaluated by the NCAA and by a lot of different, you know, analysts around the country, I just don't know if it'll be enough to get St. Louis completely into the bubble yeah. conversation. Well, right now, St. Louis is one in three. As it stands, St. Louis is actually higher than Davidson in the net. Um, St. Louis is 56 and Davidson is 60. SLU is one in three against quad one. You get that to two and three, I think that helps their argument a lot for sure. Yeah, no doubt. What's can you can you read off what their uh yeah what their so record against quad two and three is? So slow is two and three against quad two. 
They are four and two against quad three. And most importantly, they're 10 and zero against quad four. Now by comparison, Davidson is two and one against quad one, two and three against quad two, eight and zero against quad three and eight and zero against quad four. Davidson's definitely got the best metrics. I think of anyone in the A-10 from that perspective. Um, and this would be a quad two win for Davidson. That would put them at, at three and three in quad two if if the Cats can pull this one out at home. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's 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 going to be tough. It's, it, it's going to be a nail-biter for the Atlantic 10 this year in terms of bids. It's something that we've always expected. But I think like what Chris said, uh, Chris Pyle said on, on, on his, in his most recent uh, article on, for A-10 Talk, you know, the basketball, the bracketology gods are on our side, I think, when it comes to bids. The A-10, as, as, as scared as A-10 fans get every single year about, oh, my God, this is the year that we're a one-bid league. This is the year that it's going to happen. We've been saying that for a very long time, and we're still going on, you know, 17 years strong with, a, with multiple bids in the, in the NCAA tournament. So, I mean – take that with a grain of salt and just hope for the best, you know, hope for the best basketball that we can get going down the stretch. And then when it comes to selection Sunday, you know, keep your fingers crossed at this again, point, that's all you can really do. And again, as long as Davidson does not win the a 10 tournament, we're not going to be a one bid league. Yeah, exactly. So sorry. Sorry. Wildcats fans. Sorry. Take one for the team. We sorry say this every year, take over one for the team. Yeah, exactly. Like, sorry to the guys over at Lux's litter box, but like, we're all rooting against you like in, in, in three weeks. I'm sorry to say it, but it's true. In the meantime, know the Bonnies are rooting very strongly for you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Everyone except Bonnie's fans. And they're pretty loud this season. So you should feel good about that. But with that, I think we're going to be uh, wrapping it up for this week's episode of the A10 Talk podcast. As always, follow A10 Talk on Twitter. Follow myself, Daniel, and everyone else that, you know, puts out such great stuff for the best 14, soon to be 15 teams in the country. Um, keep checking on a10talk.com for, you know, continuous content and everything you need to know about A10 basketball. And with that, we'll see you next week. <laughs>